Welcome to the IEA Global Conference Podcast. Um, we are here with the Fathoms team, plus Lee, who is uh, replacing Drew <laughs> in uh, in glorious fashion. Mm-hmm. So, um, and today we are interviewing Marion. And Lee, why don't you go ahead and introduce how you know her and all that other things. Thanks, Creek. I would love to. Um, today we're talking with my teacher and dear friend, Marion Gilbert. Um, I've learned so much from her over the past few years, and I'm excited that I'm getting to meet her in person today um, for the first time. It's a really beautiful thing for me today, and I appreciate y'all sharing this conversation with us. Yes. Yeah. Thank you for inviting me to mm-hmm. this hour-long podcast, mm-hmm. and I'm happy to be here and see all these beautiful people that came on the screen, and now they're here in person at the IEA conference, and I've already extended lots of hugs, so it was great. (laughs) Well, I know this is not your first IEA conference, Mm -hmm. Um, so is there anything you'd like to share about how this conference is different or where you see um, IEA going or something from the past that you'd like to share um, some wisdom from for the community and the audience that we have joining us on a podcast for the first time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have been at lots of IEA conferences, not just here, the global ones, but also the international ones. Mm-hmm. And I will be an EndNote speaker, I think, in Egypt uh, in 2024. So, you know, I keep loving the fact that our international Enneagram community and the conferences take on the their own, you know, identity almost, depending Mm. on where the conferences are being held. And yet the spirit of the uh, the Enneagram is uniting us everywhere I go, which is very lovely. Yeah. Thanks. What's your favorite city that you've ever attended a conference in? Who? that's really hard because then I'm going to step on people's toes, (laughs) 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 which is okay to do. But um, I I think the the best conferences that I've had, I have to say, were in Egypt, Mm. you know, and are still are happening in Egypt. They've come on board as an affiliate not too long ago. It's a really fresh community with lots of enthusiasm and lots of... um, history of the origins of the Enneagram. And that is why it makes it such a special place to go. Mm. Right. Um, I know Marianne will get more into this later, but you um, teach certification programs through your work with the Somatic Enneagram. And I believe you have um, some certification programs coming up and also in Egypt. Yes. Yeah, I, I teach that in Egypt, in Europe, France, and now in England and Spain and Portugal and you know, and now, I don't know, maybe Denmark. Also. Oh. Be honest, is that just an excuse to travel? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I, get, I can do it while getting paid for it. And I have yeah. family in Holland because originally I'm from there. So I get to meet them more frequently, which yes. is also lovely. That's beautiful. Yeah. Wow. I aspire to um, be a Marion um, groupie and just follow her around <laughs> the world <laughs> learning. Yeah. I'm in. Her yeah, let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> right. I think I can get in the carry on that. Well, you know, <laughs> as the organization of the Somatic Enneagram is growing, you know, Maybe, who knows what uh, is needing to happen. As you know, I've been trying to write this uh, somatic Enneagram book for years. 
Mm-hmm. But as a good eight, you know, I overschedule myself and <laughs> I still run a full-time physical therapy practice next to going on all these wonderful right. adventures. Mm. Yeah. Right. Yeah, Marianne, yeah. Uh, backtracking just a little bit, could you um, fill us in a little bit on some of your story, some of your background? Wh- mm-hmm. How did you get into um, the initial things that are unique to you uh, alongside the Enneagram? I've always been a seeker and a student of life, even as as long as I can remember, always wondering, even as a kid, looking at the sky, it's like, mm. what the heck is that? We're, mm. you know, always being very curious and inquisitive and love exploration, especially physical exploration, mm. you know, touching and going places and, you know, they're different. It always has excited me to just ask the deeper questions of humanity. And after I came into physical therapy school, I realized what I really wanted to do is become aware and awake to what healing meant. Mm -hmm. And when I finished physical therapy school, I was trained in Holland, I felt like I was given a a bag of tools, Mm -hmm. you know, um, that I could pull out and try out. But I even discussed then with my professor, so what about healing? What is healing, you know? So these questions have kept me alive, Mm -hmm. you know, and also uh, set me on a spiritual path at a young age to really find out, you know, where, what are the practices and what is the greater reality and how do we actually manage to download that through this little body that we have, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. and what does that even mean? How will it change, you know, humanity at large, the world, you know, and our experience? Yeah. So what have you uh, found uh, by engaging the body and helping us heal? Well, I found that the obstacles to healing lie within each one of us. They don't lay out there. Mm. Yeah. We project a lot of the stuff out there. Mm -hmm. And that is one of the biggest issues that we actually, via the neuroscience, we do not place our attention inside readily. Yeah, 80% of our attention apparently goes naturally outside through the eyes, scanning the horizon and looking in our immediate surroundings. And that's a survival strategy in order for us to know whether or not we are in danger or where the food is that we need in order to maintain ourselves and to sustain ourselves. Yeah, my I have a, a six-year-old uh, boy at home and um, he's he's in this he's he's come on into these places of having just some 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 meltdowns and mm-hmm. and one of the things that I have um, been teaching him is to close his eyes because mm-hmm. I know he's taking in lots of information that way and that mm-hmm. helps him more likely relax his body and how Absolutely. he's losing control and that's kind of what I hear you saying yeah. yeah so when the nervous system gets overstimulated you know the the freak out or the explosion in children is natural mm. of course we're teaching them not to react like that and in that we are suppressing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know energetically certain overwhelmed parts of ourselves that we carry into adulthood mm-hmm. and we don't know it So it's wonderful that you have already 
Some insight in that closing the eyes helps to diminish the external stimuli. So it already can help calm. And then if you let them just feel the ground and just take a few breaths on top of that mm -hmm. and to do, just be with themselves as they are without trying to change them, you will do your children a great service. Yeah, thanks for kind of reinforcing. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Track, Abraham, from you, a, from you a specialist, yes. Yeah. All right, right? good yeah. to know. <laughs> um, yeah. well, I think, Marion, one of the sort of unique um, aspects of your work mm -hmm. is working with that. Um, you've been sort of on the cutting edge of working with the somatic piece, developing mm -hmm. the somatic piece of the Enneagram. Mm -hmm. And um, a sort of somatic is a big buzzword now in a lot of communities. But your work seems to sort of bring the practical application of how to work with that concept and using the Enneagram as a map um, to point to where we might get tangled up. Mm -hmm. right? Absolutely, yeah. I started the somatic work, of course, when I became a physical therapist. And like I said, the obstacles to healing that I've studied for 45 years in people, touching them, you know, on the table and asking them how they were feeling. And I'm having my hands on their bodies and I'm like, whatever is coming out of their mouth, mm -hmm. that's not resonating here. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it became very clear that the body has a whole different reality available if you st start to learn to pay attention to it that is actually coming through a very different lens of perception that we are not taught in the western world to use and that's the somatic or the felt sense lens of perception where you are learning what these sensations that are going through your body you know what they mean and how to understand them right because we are hardwired to not feel any of that. If we were to feel every single impression that happens within the body to keep you alive and, and in good enough you know, shape, then you would be overwhelmed all day long. So yeah. it is intelligent to not have access to all of that. However, you know, if you're interested in becoming uh, awake to yourself, in a way that is humanly embodied as a conduit of all kinds of activity, you know, you will have access to what the original wounds and obstacles are, you know, to how you filter reality, mm -hmm. how you receive information, and to understand that it filters, you know, a whole bunch of stuff out. Yeah? So that's Number one. Number two, cognitive memory it doesn't happen and sporadically so until be between two and three years old, right? Mm -hmm. And cellular memory happens from the beginning of evolution, meaning I'm coming into a body in a womb mm -hmm. and my nervous system begins to develop and has to survive and it already begins to organize itself mm -hmm. in whatever way. When you say cellular, cellular memory, what does that mean? It means that the cells in your body do, don't forget. They don't forget any anything that ever happened. Yeah, Like experiences that you have throughout your By sensate experiences that you've been in that 
of course, in the beginning had to do with needing to survive. Mm -hmm. And then there is also a term in young children, a failure to thrive. Mm -hmm. Yeah? Mm -hmm. So survive and thrive are two aspects that are prerequisites to us being able to use the emotional intelligence and, you know, the cognitive and the intellectual, you know, intelligence. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So is the um, part of the experience of when a body is saying one thing and the mouth is saying another, uh, what happens when there's different memories that have not yet been accessed in that mm -hmm. period of time or even just the process of socialization yeah i mean it's like deborah egerton just said you know the whole problem of not being able to embrace diversity in from my point of view and she uses the word love which is of course a, a very um what can I say? It's it's a word that has been used in many different contexts, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But I would say that unless we understand how the somatic structure has split reality into two opposing aspects, like this is who I need to be in order to be loved. Yeah, we learn that at a very young, young age, right? Or this is who I need to be in order to belong. Or this is who I need to be to be validated from three centers point of view, right? Depending on where your type structure begins to be activated, right? So from that point of view, it's very, it's very important to understand that that split already doesn't give us access to, you know, the whole of what is going on mm -hmm. inside and outside. And that then becomes the platform through which diversity becomes not embraceable. Mm. Yeah, because mm. I am married to this particular point of view. Mm. And not that that is a problem, but if you then through another point of view gets, get triggered, right, in your type structure, you know, somatically your body already begins to defend itself against an aspect of self. Mm -hmm and then, therefore, against the other. Mm. So that's where separation happens, yeah. really deep inside, you know, our being that is structurally having to be a certain organization in order to survive. Right. Mm. Yeah? Just a, a quick follow-up then. As how, how do you go about um, working, helping a person um, learn how to, the body and the the mind starts speaking to each other so that they're saying the same thing. Exactly. How, do, how do you go about doing that? Well, the Enneagram at large, you know, does teach in its, from its origination that we can only have received spiritual experience if we have three centers online. And we all, ha all have three centers, depend not depending on our types. We all have them, mm -hmm. right? So if you turn on all three centers, you need to understand that there's a mental lens of perception, an emotional lens of perception, and a somatic lens of perception. So to be able to, you know, have an inner faculty of mind that knows how to objectively observe, which is part of the prefrontal cortex that we can reflect on our behaviors, 
you know, to be able to turn that faculty of mind on, that is not the thinking mind, it's not the emotional mind, it's not even what we believe, you know, the somatic structure is about. It's really like a direct way to go into the mental center and, you know, observe the thoughts, the memories, the cognitive memories, the imagination that we are able to work towards, the planning, which is all mental activity. And you get a certain amount of cognition from a mental point of view. That's only one third of what's available. And then via the heart center, you have to be able to develop some kind of emotional know-how. And what is the emotion? People say, oh, I feel really emotional. I said, so what emotion is there? And they have a hard time speaking about it because it's not cognitive, right? Mm -hmm. It doesn't readily come. Mm -hmm. So it has to be learned by having a certain amount of felt sense of what the energetic construct feels of the emotion, where it's happening, you know, whether or not it produces tears, and then it doesn't mean it's just sadness. You can have tears of anger and frustration. You can have tears of joy, tears of gratitude. You see, it's very important to learn that language of each center by turning on the emotional lens of perception in the heart. And then finally, the descend to the body-centered physical sensations that are giving you information about your homeostasis of well-being and also of the way that you are surviving in this moment. Mm -hmm. You know, either pretty good or marginal or not so good. Mm -hmm. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. You're explaining it in such a fresh way for me to be hearing it. Um, so thank you for your Good. explanations there. Um, yeah. I'm wondering if you can tell us from your perspective why your work is so important for the Enneagram community now. Well, as uh, Lee was already saying, the somatic word has become a buzzword. Mm. To me, it's I've been doing this for 20 years. In the beginning, there was very little receptivity to it. Right. Because people just were, you know, doing a few exercises, but it it had no connection in the Enneagram with the type or whatsoever. Or just get more grounded and, you know, and there's so much more to it. Mm -hmm. Right. So what I believe is that, you know, the 99th monkey has passed into the hundredth monkey. And that means from a, you know, from a sort of metaphysical point of view that the consciousness has now accepted the word soma and somatic Mm -hmm. as being something that we've lost contact with, especially in the first world. Mm -hmm. Indigenous cultures are much closer to it Mm -hmm. and they see the intelligence of it. We as Westerners are not relating to the body as something that has intelligence and something to offer in and of itself other than going from A to B and how it looks on the outside, Mm. right? That's how it's being highlighted. Mm. So we are going in with the somatic Enneagram in relationship to the Enneagram map to complete the map. It's the missing piece. When I was taught in 2005 with the three centers, I saw all kinds of beautiful language in the mental center, all kinds of beautiful language in the heart center. And then in the belly center, there was just two words, you know, subtypes and instincts. And I'm like, 
what? <laughs> so, and then I, and I then, you know, I don't know if you guys have ever had sort of a hit. Oh my God, this is something that I'm asked to bring, yeah. you know? Yeah. And fortunately, Teresa Orsino at the narrative was really open to it and helped me in, with, uh, also, Peter O'Hanran, who is another A teacher that originally got me interested in wanting to join the Enneagram community with the somatic background that mm -hmm. I had. And, you know, then there was the, the very slow, but, you know, the warming up of the main leaders to somatic, you yeah. know, and I started to word, you know, use the word energy, and Deborah just asked, answered it in, and used it in her program just now, and it had to laugh and smile because that is how the community is changing. Yeah. Energy can be talked about without it being dismissed as voodoo or some kind of a, you know, non-rational thing. Yeah, right. And so energetic aspects of the type are now being more paid attention to. But for me, bringing the actual content that is the opposing content, like here is holy idea in the mental center, and there is fixation of beliefs, yeah. right? Core beliefs of the type. In the heart center, there is passions and vice of the type, and then there is the virtues of the type. So, so on the body center, there is the defensive reflexes and the nurturing reflexes that are the two opposing parts that started us relating to ourselves in the space that is finite on this world, you know, that you are beginning to see, oh, I have to be attracted to what feels good and what is nourishing to me in order to stay alive. And I have to push away the things that are dangerous and are ready to attack me. Mm. And that is actually translating all the way upwards towards the core beliefs and the holy ideas. Yeah. Yeah. I have a question. It's a, a bit of a vulnerable question, and you're free to decline to answer it. But I'm just thinking about you talking about being a child and this sort of hunger for healing mm -hmm. that you were talking about. That has stuck with me through this conversation. Yeah. Um, so I just want to come back to that for a second. Now I'm hearing you talking about being one of the earlier people in this community, mm -hmm. in the Enneagram community, kind of saying we need to expand mm -hmm. this this part of our work. Yeah. Um, and I'm just wondering how that kind of felt for you being one of the only voices kind of saying, let's do this versus now, maybe there are more voices joining you. Mm -hmm. And um, if you could talk to us about what, what that felt like for you as a way of maybe connecting with some of the people who are now joining our community who maybe sort of feel like I'm bringing this observation, maybe even a critique, and I feel like we're not awake to it yet. Does that no. question make sense? Yeah, yeah. I think what I sense is there's more interest that's showing mm -hmm. right now. And especially with the younger generation coming in, I feel there is already a certain amount of um, attunement to this need and that lack. And there's interest, more interest from the younger generation than it, there was in the older generation. So I see a big shift, mm. you know, in that. And I welcome, of course, I welcome that. It's beautiful, 
you know, and there is also a lot of wisdom coming in with the, ne the next generation that wasn't quite there in the older generation, where the big movement was bringing the psychological language to the map, right? That happened in the 60s, 70s. I celebrate the fact, and I was awake to the fact that it was going to take time. And I just was fortunate enough to have David Daniels and Helen Palmer starting to really underwrite this work and, you know, gave me lots of encouragement to co-teach with them and learning how to integrate this work that I, in the way that I had been moving it forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you. I, and and oh. I also want to mention just to, the narrative has been very, the narrative Enneagram has been extremely supportive to this work. And without a narrative, I would not be here in this place. And I would say it's also written into the core program, the basic, you know, somatic descriptions, descriptions. Mm -hmm. And Peter O'Hanron has also contributed to that greatly. Um, I'd speak for myself for a moment as a student of yours mm -hmm. um, that one of the sort of most revelatory pieces of your work was exactly that somatic piece, looking at it through that lens of um, sometimes you refer to it as bottom up, right? Like starting at the foundation of the body and um, just doing my own personal work of learning that so much happened um, in my system before I was verbal or able to have the mm -hmm. cognitive understanding of it or language to go with it. Um, and having this sort of layer um, combined with the map of the Enneagram to work with that reality and develop a fluency of the felt sense perception and understand sort of, um, Abram, to what you were saying earlier, how do you do that? Learning how to, um, to develop an inner observer and occasionally catch myself in the act of doing my personality to be able to reflect on. And it's been really powerful work that um, if I had only been learning it intellectually, I never would have gotten to. Right. right. To, to real transformation. And that's a really good point you bring out. I don't think we can actually even begin to talk about transformation. And I... I liken it with where we are now, the need for the completing the descent from, you know, this where we have arrived and created mm -hmm. our ego to mm -hmm. back through the heart and the emotional, you know, blocks and, and patterns and contractions that we have into the belly and the body all the way down to the beginning, you know. So that's where I feel the transformation energetically needs to take place to take the wind out of the sails of the reactivity. Yeah. Yeah? yeah. If you don't have the fuel, you know, to fuel the pattern, then it stays relaxed. And you don't have to be feeling like your attention is hijacked by the automatic patterns. Right. Yeah. Um, I'm sensitive to part of this is um, showing my own hand. I'm sensitive to falling in the trap of turning myself into a fix-it project, right? Yeah. And another concept of yours that's been very helpful to me is um, radical inclusion mm -hmm. and to allow and accept. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering if you could speak to our listeners about the concept of that because I think that's at the, the compassion of that is at the root of your work. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, so for me, radical inclusion is a term that reminds us that we are, are and were and are created whole, mm. that there's nothing missing. Mm. There's nothing here in the present moment, you know, for us to have any contraction about, right? Because we hear as friends having a conversation, we're well-fed, we are, you know, having all basic needs met, right? And yet we are still here with these automatic ways at which we have become defended against a certain aspect without knowing it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And um, help, me, help me again to come back to the question. No, just, just talking about the, um, your sort of allowing and including. The inclusion. There. Yeah. yeah. So radical inclusion is not something that is, you need to achieve. It's just to be reminded, just like Gurdjieff says, you know, as humans, we're in a state of self-forgetting. Mm-hmm. And the process is self-remembering. Mm-hmm. So the Mr. or Mrs. fix it in you or the Mr. and Mrs. push and forge the river in me as an eight, you know, are just ways at which, which we learned not to trust that we are whole and that there is a wholeness that carries all of this that's happening, this manifestation, mm-hmm. and that the life force itself is benevolent. It wants to support whatever it is that every single human and life form chooses to do, whether it's good or bad. Yeah. When you talk about radical inclusion, how, how do you how do you work through like a situation where someone is in some sort of war zone or some sort of really difficult situation? They're experiencing racism on an everyday basis mm-hmm. or uh, just normal life suffering. Because that, that does not feel like wholeness. It doesn't, a lot of what happens here is not whole, mm-hmm. right? And we're talking about not that we, that I'm saying to you, everything is hunky-dory in this world. Mm-hmm. I'm saying to have an approach to fix it is probably, um, can only happen if you have done your inner work. Yeah. If you have understood that, you know, people of a different color or a different gender orientation or whatever way they want to show up, you know, the, the fact that you cannot really experience that radical inclusion is because there is something in you or in me that's resisting mm-hmm. an aspect of that because we feel threatened by it. Yes, mm-hmm. it's that's all it is. Now, you can place all your attention out there. Okay, I'm saying the right words to this person and I'm going to do all my best, you know, to make them feel that I'm here to love them. But if that fear of othering or otherness is not, you know, awake in you and you have found a way to learn how to balance that with the part of you that is already at ease or at a certain, you know, in a certain way is already free to choose how you're going to be, then, you know, that particular external way of educating people how to, you know, be different, you know, it's not going to work. It's not going to be sustainable, right? Because you're not really going to the source of why the inner separation has happened. Mm -hmm. Yeah, same with war zones. 
I mean, do we do we go into war zones and expecting that we are going to find wholeness? It's possible, yeah? I teach about Viktor Frankl, who wrote this incredible book about, you know, basically waking up in the middle of extreme, you know, captivity and being abused and, you know, and he woke up in the middle of it. And, you know, his huge contribution was that he noticed that he could go inside and he could feel and sense that between a stimulus that was a negative stimulus and the automatic reaction and the response lies a space. Yeah, I've been using that to teach people in that space, you know, there is an, an, a choice that you can make. And, and that choice cannot be made if you are in the automatic reaction of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's a matter of making sure that your inner observer is enough developed, your grounded present in the moment is enough here, yeah? We're not in danger in this moment, in this room. There's no danger here, yeah? And also the placement of attention, that you have a choice to place your attention freely anywhere at any time, whether you're in a war, war zone or in a very difficult you know, situation where there is a ra- racial, uh, you know, altercation that's happening. And you can either let that shut you down or you go inside to the place where that shutdown is happening, breathe around it and become present to that part of you first and include it. Mm-hmm. And once that relaxes, now you're actually able to freely choose, not before that. Mm-hmm. You're just making the decision, but it's not free. You're able to re- respond to the suffering instead yes. of letting the suffering define how you yes. react. Yes, instead of automatically react. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm hearing that the wholeness isn't necessarily a representation of the lack of suffering or the lack of hardship or no. anything like that. It's it's wholeness is the complete acceptance of the reality of the situation and all its complexities and contradictions. Acceptance and you are awake to it and you're present with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Because acceptance is a word that I sometimes feel like, I like to use the word acknowledging, mm-hmm. because acceptance is again, it's like we have to accept that this stuff is going on. No, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. you can actually freely choose not to accept it and take an action mm-hmm. in going towards that and expressing yourself freely in how that is affecting you mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. so that's not acceptance yeah does that's, that make sense uh, yeah no that's a great distinction yeah again the defining the terms yes. mm-hmm. yeah. right yeah. words are very important right <laughs> words are very important <laughs> so uh marianne I, what i what i hear you saying um i think is that there is some experience of wholeness that seems to be obstructed Mm-hmm. Um, from our perception. And that brings to mind two words that I often hear uh, referenced in somatic therapy of any kind, uh, relaxing and allowing. And I'm, I'm curious if you could get really specific about what those words actually mean and how do you do them? Well, you can do them. Okay. Right? You can do relaxation. Relaxation is already a part of you enough as you're sitting here, no matter how worked up you may be, because 
you're not turning blue and you're not at the spot of dying, meaning there is enough breath moving and life force moving through your system while you're worked up about something, yeah? To shift your attention from what is worked up and to what's already free in you will shift your state wow. instantly without drugs. It's just nice. <laughs> it cost, doesn't cost anything. I'm not saying that there's not a place for drugs, but I'm, you know, I just want to say it's such a forgotten uh, element that by placing your attention somewhere in the new neuronet sci science, it's been reinforced. Long-term meditators know this you know, is that wherever your attention goes, energy flows. Whether it goes automatically in the popcorn kind of way when nobody, somebody is just randomly being put on a neural net, that's what they see. Yeah, popcorns mm -hmm. anywhere, wherever the associative thinking takes them. Yeah, there is no inner observer that is being engaged. If they put a long-term meditator on the neural net, the actual field in the brain that is being activated is stable. Right? What that means mm -hmm. that they have mastered a certain amount of ability to sustain attention inside of themselves so that whatever happens on the outside is not, whoop, it's not taking um, them away. Mm -hmm. Yes? So they have learned that wherever you place your attention, you can maintain your inner ground, your inner peace, your inner compassion, uh, if that is where you continue to keep your focus. Yeah? And it's in the felt sense of your whole being, it's very clear when that actually is turned on mm -hmm. and when it's offline. Mm -hmm. So that's a practice. What are some practical signs that it is turned on? Your nervous system is fully alive. Yeah, there is a liveliness to the person, and yet it's not reactive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a full engagement of the life force, and things are being fully, you know, uh, seen and felt as, as people sit somewhere. You can be passionate about something, but it's not reactive. Mm -hmm against something. Be that the theme is Unite and Ignite, how do you think your work uniquely contributes to uniting us as a community as well as igniting us towards action? So I did a three and a half hour pre-day presentation. Mm. And in a way, I kind of looked at the word unite. How do we unite? Yeah, we, we can unite through sitting here and having a conversation. We can have a love fest and just really be in a, a place where we're all kind of intimately connected. And we can also be in a place where we use movement, inner movement, outer movement, and understand that we as humans have the same internal organization of movement of the life force available to us and to share that. So I, my pre-day um, title was Unite in Movement and Ignite Your Inner Light. Yeah. So this was not about external movement, even though we went into external movement. But I had people move from the inside out with their contractions. 
and mm -hmm. I gave them the permission and the music to support and a little PowerPoint and a beautiful 10-minute video about movements of all the different cultures and traditions in the world to take them inside and say, okay, now where inside are you being moved to move? What is moving you to move? And can you follow this movement? And I have to say it was just such an amazing uh, group of people that were there that were able to have the courage to go to the places that they did not want to feel. Each type has one, yeah, a core fear a core wound that takes them away from an aspect of themselves, right? So to allow that, give that permission to go into movement, and then the energy starts to flow because it's not held hostage. Mm -hmm. You know, that unobscures, unobstructs that sense of wholeness, radiance, and, you know, beingness of people together and all three centers are becoming opened up. The mind opens up. Oh, my gosh. You know, I had people mirroring, you know, a particular type that wasn't that type. And, you know, the connection that was being made, the information that was being exchanged in the person that was mirroring a type in their movement, you know, is worth more than a thousand words. Mm -hmm. That their body will never forget that. As we're coming to a close here, just one kind of practical thing for, for anybody listening. Uh, is, there, is there one kind of accessible practice that you could offer um, people listening that would help someone get more in tune with their soma? Yeah. I mean, just be curious about what's happening inside. Yeah, so I and then I say to people, what is happening inside can only be understood by using the felt sense lens of perception. So, what is the sensation and where do I feel it inside? Mm. Is the beginning of getting more internalization and more information from the internal, I call it the inner landscape or the inner territory, which I now believe is the last frontier. It's the last place we go, the last mm. place we look. We go to the moon and Mars mm -hmm. and <laughs> the, the black holes and, mm -hmm. you know, but what about here? Yeah. Right? So this mm -hmm. is the why, you know, the head center. This is what, what am I feeling? And this is, where is it happening? Mm -hmm. So we, ask yourself, where is it? Mm. You know, what I'm feeling, where is it? And then you are going to the felt sense energetic construct of that particular belief or feeling or sensation. Thank you for that. I've been curious if you could share with us a story mm -hmm. from your time working with clients and helping people heal, something that stayed with you and been particularly impactful for you. Most of the learning that I experienced was inside of me mm -hmm. yeah I mean I have so many ex examples of what happened for the client but I see that however I show up with them you know makes all the difference in the world mm. yeah so when I show up with the intention to meet the person where they are and 
you know, I'm doing my inner practice of finding out, doing a triage inside, okay, what might be obstructing that because I have a certain reaction here and breathe around it and don't come from that place. I've heard many people say to me that they don't really understand what just happened, but that they completely trusted, you know, the way I showed up, that they were able to, you know, feel and sense things inside of themselves in the way that they have never felt permission for, right? And, you know, also that I was, you know, being seen as a person that walked with them. So I I kind of see the the healing work as in, you know, walking each other home, including me being whatever role I'm playing, I am just equal to them next to them and then you know there is a healing that happens in both directions (laughs) that's lovely yeah uh i actually have a quote here that i found from you uh, that i recorded i don't know how long ago but it's kind of out of context but i'm assuming you'll you'll be able to pick up on it just kind of i'd love to hear kind of what this means or what this looks like for you you said uh, more than letting go it's about letting something arise and learning to not attach to it Mm mm-hmm what, is yeah. that, what does that mean? Instead of letting go, letting it be. Letting it be what it is without having to grab it or push it away or do anything with it because that creates the attachment. Yeah? So if you can let it be, then it's free. Mm-hmm. And if you're not attached to the outcome of anything, then... Whatever happens is not in your hands. It just keeps dropping in from who knows where. I don't really know where it comes from, but I have learned to trust that when mm-hmm. it comes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. In some experiences, we call it either direct knowing or direct feeling or direct sensing that is not filtering through the conditioned brain. Mm. Yeah. Thank you. I right. appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Thank you for your time. and. Yeah. Being with us today. Well, thank you for yes. your questions. Oh, I was yeah. very awesome. happy to receive your questions. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. And where people can find you um, would be somaticenneagram.com or mariongilbert.com. Yes, that's the website. Yeah. And you've got um, some certifications coming up in the States in September yep. um, and online and in Egypt and France and the UK. And so wherever yeah. our listeners are, um, find your closest spot to put mm-hmm. yourself in the path of um, partnering with Marion. Yeah. Thank, yeah, so Thank you so much. Thank you for this opportunity. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And much love to you all. Thank you. <laughs>